This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, November 18th. I'm Kevin Farrell in for Karen Brown. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as hospitals are filling and more schools are switching to virtual learning, the state's top health officers urge residents to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. Then the governor's budget proposes an end of the individual income tax. We hear response from lawmakers. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we examine the governor's patriotic education program. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Several major hospitals in Mississippi are operating at maximum capacity because of increased coronavirus hospitalizations. The healthcare system is experiencing admission rates and ICU occupancy that are at their highest since late August. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says he's concerned patients won't receive the highest standard of care if intensive care beds are filled. We want to make sure that we're using, utilizing our resources as uh, efficiently as possible to the benefit of our state. But the best thing that we all can do is to make sure that we limit transmission of coronavirus so that we do not overwhelm the healthcare system. We are kind of getting up right at that level, unfortunately. Um, I had a question of uh, what does the worst case scenario look like? Well, that's hard to say for sure. Um, I mean, I mean, it can be really bad, but certainly we could see situations and we may see in the near future where people who need healthcare are not able to get it. It does. It's not just for coronavirus, right? If we have depleted our, our hospital capacity, people who have other critical illnesses, car wrecks, heart attacks, strokes, other forms of pneumonia are not going to be able to get the care they need. So stressing out the healthcare system and people dying unnecessarily because they don't have access to care, that's a real possibility. But it's also something that we can turn around if we make the right actions. While some hospitals in the state are filling up, classrooms are being left empty as more schools shift to virtual learning due to outbreaks of COVID-19. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says there has been a significant spike in both cases and quarantines in school communities. We are starting to see a more significant impact on the schools, just to kind of give you an idea of where we are. Um, More than uh, 14,000 students in Mississippi have been placed on quarantine in um, in the last week. That's compared to about 9,000 in the previous week. So you see that things are, are starting to really heat up. When we look at the number of cases in students, we moved uh, from about 500 or so cases in the prior week, uh, over 1,000 cases in students in the, in the current reporting week. We've also seen some increases in the number of of cases among uh, teachers, moving over 500 cases in teachers. Last week alone, we reported uh, more than 70 new outbreaks in uh, school setting. So we're really starting to see a, a, a much bigger impact on schools. Winter sports, including basketball, have started for high schools across the state. Doctors Dobbs and Byers say they're worried indoor athletic activities will lead to increased transmission of the virus. I'm going to say one thing. 
Um, CDC had a recent sort of analysis of a hockey outbreak and they had two teams. One person gave it to 22 people in one hockey game, right? That's pretty appalling. Um, and there's a lot of analogies, I think, and, and even I think basketball is a lot more intimate than um, than ice hockey is even, although sometimes it can get pretty tight. So I think, I think yes, I think it's quite likely that it's going to be more dangerous, although there's less people on the, on the court, obviously. Um, the proximity, the indoor nature of it, the less airflow um, is going to be intrinsically more concerning. Yeah, and, you know, we've, we've had some basketball games, not only where, you know, there's been, there's been um, infections within the, the players themselves, but um, coaches, including opposing coaches, um, and in some cases, um, those teachers and staff that are working the concession stand. Dobbs is also expressing his concern over the upcoming holiday season. He urges residents to keep gatherings small and intimate. Holidays are going to be a very vulnerable time for us. Holidays are a moment when we get together with the people we love, but we're close to one another. We're eating, and when we're eating, we know we're not wearing masks. And we're with people we love and our family, we're not going to wear masks. And the other issue is we're going to have people who are of different age groups mingling together, right? Younger folks who are more likely to have disease, older folks who are more likely to die from the disease. It's a perfect storm for an explosive outbreak of coronavirus. And if we look out over the, the recent history of coronavirus, we've had these certain inflection points that have been adversely impacted by holiday times. When we had Memorial Day, we had a spike. When we had Fourth of July, we had a pretty nasty spike. Didn't see as much around Labor Day, thank goodness. But after Halloween, we have seen a lot of cases related to Halloween, social events, and, and increases from there. We don't want Thanksgiving and Christmas to be that sort of thing. So please, as you look toward making your holiday plans, keep it small, primarily keep it nuclear with your close family, because we all want to be able to spend future holidays with our loved ones and not have to worry about making folks sick. And we will see deaths absolutely around holiday gatherings. Mississippi has reported over 134,000 cases of the coronavirus since March 11th, with 3,545 related deaths. 22 counties are under an executive order that requires residents to wear masks in public and adhere to restrictions on social gatherings. Coming up, the governor's budget proposes an end of the individual income tax. We hear response from lawmakers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell. Governor Tate Reeves' budget proposal for the next fiscal year includes phasing out the state's individual income tax by 2030. The state income tax takes in $1.8 billion yearly. The governor says the plan will attract new businesses and residents to the state. House Republican Tracy Arnold of Brooke of Boonville is on the appro- uh, Appropriations Committee, and he tells our Desiree Frazier he supports phasing out the income tax if it doesn't place burden on other tax streams. I fully support phasing out Mississippi's income tax. Uh, if we can do that uh, without increasing uh, property taxes or fuel taxes or anything like that. So that's the issue. Where is that money going to be made up? 
correct. At this point in time, no one has uh, mentioned where the funds would be taken from or or um, or increases in other arenas to cover that. So, you know, I would love to phase it out myself. I think it's a great idea to be more uh, competitive with either Tennessee and other states. But um, in the same breath, I'm not for raising anybody's taxes. Well, in the light of the coronavirus pandemic, not knowing the state of what we may need in terms of funds, do you think it's likely that that's going to make it through the legislature in 2021? Well, I, I think in the 2021 session, we'll have to look at, you know, the budget, uh, see how the COVID epidemic has actually uh, hit the economy. And then uh, work through it from that point um, to see if it is something that's actually pliable. Now, one critic said what is happening with some of the states that have done away with the income tax is that it's attracting uh, seniors who want to retire. And Mississippi needs to be focused on drawing uh, business and young people to the state. Your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, anytime you can eliminate a tax, I think it makes your state more attractive for people to live there. And, and of course, a lot of people that are retiring from other states uh, are looking for somewhere that the cost of living is lower and the taxes are lower. So a lot of those people are coming to Mississippi and we're proud to have them here because they're spending their money here and they happen in our local economy. Um so I, I just think it's beneficial to, to phase it out, but we have to be real careful how we do that and uh, and not to raise some burdensome tax that's going to hurt someone in those efforts, you know. Well, Representative Tracy Arnold, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Reese's plan includes using a portion of the 2% set aside from the Rady Day Fund to fill that gap in the general fund. Democratic House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez says he does support reducing taxes for Mississippians, but says this approach in other states has attracted retirees who don't often support local bond issues. This whole idea of attracting retirees is attracting a a ultra-conservative population of people who vote against public education because it doesn't benefit them. They don't have the children in school. They don't have any interest in real economic development because they're retired. They don't have jobs. We ought to be focusing on finding a way to keep young, smart talent here in the state of Mississippi, not providing a place for people just to rest. I mean, I take I give you a perfect example in Natchez. We have more than our share of retired people and the public school system clearly needed more money to bolster it. They wanted to pass a bond issue. It got beat essentially because the, the most of the people who were voting were older people who didn't feel the need to improve public education. That doesn't do a state like the state of Mississippi where we have a brain drain, we have a youth drain. That doesn't help us at all. And so I'm I'm in favor of reducing taxes on people as much as possible, but not for the sake of attracting older people who won't vote for the interest that benefits Mississippi going forward. What would you suggest be done to keep young people in the state and draw more young people to the state? Well, I, I, you know, the first thing we 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 took the first major step, in my opinion, that that was getting getting rid of rid of the Confederate flag because it does a number of things. It changes the image. It creates an us. It well, it certainly gets rid of a negative image for the state of Mississippi. The next thing it does is 
in businesses or or new industry or new companies or anybody who's looking to do something new you have a you know we have a you know comparably given our population and and the rate of poverty in this state we have a pretty good working population uh, or, or trained population and we should certainly have the, the ability to train workers and so if you know invest in in, in our, our, our junior college program and our, our, our college our university program encourage people to stay here and then try to co-op with industry that would like to come here and work with some of these universities in terms of developing skills and talent that they can use in whatever they're doing that's what we ought to think about and that's what and, and look this is not a new innovative idea that's what they do everywhere where they try to attract new businesses why not continue to intensify our focus on that issue so you don't see any benefit to eliminating the income tax i I absolutely see a benefit i see a benefit if you if you arrange or you or you or the benefit is to his first part you put money back into the economy absolutely if you put that money in people's pockets some of it is going to go back into the economy but the other part of it is Every state that eliminated income tax, some some other tax bears the burden of the, whatever you lost, whether it's ad valorem or property taxes, something bears the burden. So you, all I want to know is where it's going to come from, because it has to come from somewhere. That's all. But, yeah, eliminating the income tax. But I would rather see more effort done to eliminate the sales tax on food. That That, you know, having people who are poor pay extra money to just to, you know, have food. That that's a more equitable way to to do something for people who are out here trying to make it. A portion of Mississippi's individual income tax is already set to phase out in 2022. Former Governor Phil Bryant proposed that measure in 2018, which was passed by the legislature. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we examine the governor's patriotic education program. You're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. on specific questions as a patient that we should be asking when we're trying to establish a primary care doctor. Now, the questions to ask is, what kind of services do you have for somebody my age? Um, And can I see you for both routine preventive care, which in your 20s tends to be once a year, um, just for a routine checkup. Uh, Depending on your insurance, it may pay for different things. Uh, and then what happens if I get sick? Can I come into that clinic? What do you, you know, what kind of services do you have there for, for a woman? Um, certainly women's health is a question you would ask too. Do they do routine women's health screening, um, uh, uh, gynecological exams if that's needed? And if not, you know, that may be another visit that you'd have with somebody else and you may just want one person doing all of that. So those are all, you know, conditions that you'd want to at least uh, be aware of. And if you know that you have any other risk factors, if you have a, you know, a a family history of heart disease at an earlier age or in your family, or if you've got known medical problems that you're dealing with, would they feel comfortable treating you in those situations? So uh, those are the kind of things I would ask for a primary care person 
because really it's not just about can they, um, you know, can they treat the diagnose and treat you for what you have at that moment? Can they anticipate what you would need and do that over a longer period of time? For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell. In the months leading up to the 2020 elections, President Trump denounced the practice of critical race theory and championed the teaching of a historical narrative centered on the concepts of American exceptionalism. Now Governor Tate Reeves is introducing a plan to bring a similar program to Mississippi. In his proposed budget, Reeves allocates $3 million for what he calls the Patriotic Education Fund. One of the things that has concerned me, and I know many of you, Uh, for the last several years is the attempt by some to change history, the attempt by some to move our country more in a socialist direction and and in some instances even more in a communist uh, approach. Uh, Those don't make sense in, in America and in fact we need to do a better job of teaching our young people about our history, teaching our young people the good and the bad teaching our young people about America, what makes America the greatest place on earth, what makes America, these United States of America, the greatest country in the history of mankind. For many historians and teachers of history, the governor's proposed program is antithetical. Dr. Robert Luckett is an associate professor of history and philosophy at Jackson State University. He calls the program problematic, saying it's the job of historians to perpetually question the narrative. I think as far as a historian goes, I look at at what he's suggesting and what he's saying, and it's um, it's obviously, for, for me as a historian, deeply problematic and, and almost anti-intellectual uh, in the sense that you know, the, the work of historians is... Um, he, he decries what he calls revisionist history, and the work of historians is always deeply revisionist. Um, we, we, are, we are constantly looking at the past, analyzing it, and, and attempting to uncover new ways of understanding how that past impacts our present. And the, the truth is that that interpretation of American history has changed over time, and it's changed with who has had access um, to actually analyze that history and who's had power to have a voice and how that history is understood. Okay, I'm and- going to stop you. Give me a specific example of how um, a specific piece of history could be considered different, completely different through what, through one's eyes compared to another. So the dominant narrative of Reconstruction history, for instance, in Mississippi, uh, until the 1950s was a story of the evil carpetbagger and the corrupt black politician um, claiming power, uh, sometimes illegally, 
but certainly without proper authority um, during Reconstruction and creating a world in Mississippi and throughout the South that was was illegitimate and harmful. And that was a version of American history that was the dominant version of American history until the Civil Rights Movement. And since the American Civil Rights Movement, we have come to understand that that version of history served a purpose. It served a purpose to reinforce the legitimacy of Jim Crow in the eyes of white supremacy and white supremacists. And so to to talk about kind of the evil carpetbagger and the scallywag and, and the, 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 the terrible nature of Reconstruction – came out of a perspective that was meant uh, to support the Jim Crow um, hierarchy. After the Civil Rights Movement, that narrative has changed, right? And we understand it was way more complicated than that, and that there were actual achievements that African Americans made in the immediate years of emancipation and during Reconstruction that were more than legitimate, that were actual really remarkable claims on their freedom and on the, on the rights of American citizenship. And that's a history that has totally changed in, in the last you know 50 to 60 years. Governor Reeves in this budget proposal says he wants to reward schools that combat revisionist history. And he says of education in the country, he doesn't say specifically Mississippi, but in the country, indoctrination in far left socialist teachings that emphasize America's shortcomings over exceptional achievements of this country. Now, first of all, I wonder if you take issue with far-left socialist teachings. What are socialist teachings? What might that refer to in revisionist history? I I think that that is very frankly just kind of a political jab. I don't think that there's any basis in that. And if you even ask the governor, could you point to what constitutes socialist teachings, that that definition would be incredibly vague. But we know that the word socialist, that the word communist has some political currency in American politics, right? And people on the left and on the right react certain ways to this. And certainly the governor has a base of political support that would sink its teeth into the the notion of far-left socialists. And I think the reality does not bear that out. If you were to look at what's actually being taught in our schools today, um, particularly in our public schools in Mississippi and across the country, you're not going to see far-left socialist teachings. Um, and, and in fact, it's hard to argue that there's any nation in the world that's more fully committed to capitalism right, um, than, than, the, than the United States. And so um, I just that feels more like a political jam than anything else and not really based in the reality of what's being taught in our schools. You are on the school board of Jackson Public Schools. How do you think this will be received by the board? Well, I I mean, I think that it will be received by the board with kind of a shrug. I don't know that this impacts us very much in how we go about the process of educating our children and making sure that our young scholars are armed with all of the tools that they need to succeed in this world and to, to succeed in this current climate of a pandemic, 
right? But also the current climate of a, of a new movement for social justice or an extended movement for social justice, um, particularly since the murder of George Floyd and the impact of the Black Lives Matter movements um, since this summer. So I don't know that this news impacts us very much. I don't know that it, it, it changes anything that we're already trying to do. And ultimately, our goal is to make sure that, that uh, you know, from the perspective of a historian, for me, as I sit on the board and my perspective of what I, I hope that we accomplish, and that I think probably the rest of our uh, of my, my colleagues on the board would agree, is that we provide them with the tools to understand the world in a holistic way that allows them to think critically and to analyze that that past and the world around them in ways that informs their lives so that they can make something of them, so that they can achieve and succeed uh, in this world. Dr. Robert Luckett is an associate professor of history and philosophy at Jackson State University. Dr. Luckett, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Karen. I always enjoy being with you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.